Welcome to the Anything Goes Podcast, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And we're back, and we're still in October's Month of Horrors 2017, as we're talking about all about horror movie remakes. Now, when I was starting out this little program for this month, I wanted to do remakes that have, like, either lived up to the originals or somehow surpassed them in any way. And I wanted, like, ones that all had kind of positive, I guess, fan bases around them. However, a previous guest decided to Jedi mind trick me into doing today's episode. <laughs> and we were doing 1998's Gus Van Sant's Psycho, or... I don't know if I, I don't know if I could just call it Gus Van Sant's Psycho. It is his movie, don't... I won't deny that. I just don't know if it's 100% his movie, but... So, before we go any further, let me introduce the guest who bamboozled me into this, Mr. Guy Milks. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Oh, uh, you have a lot. You have a... Mm. <laughs> well, I will, I will say that it, it, it may have surpassed Hitch's original in some, in, oh, reputation? <laughs> yeah, I'll give it that. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I, like I, like I told you as a filmmaker, you should at least see this movie at least once. It is, it is a good education. Yes. But before we go any further, let's have the theme song and then we'll jump into the movie. So let's jump into the theme song right now. <laughs> Guy, when did you first become aware of this remake? Oh, oh, I remember the hype for it. Um, I remember that it was it was already getting backlash because this was this this shot for shot thing. Um, so I've been aware of it since the beginning. I never went and saw it. I did not. Um, I because I didn't see the reason why it was being made. I still don't see the reason why it was made, but <laughs> um, but uh, I didn't. And then, oh, since I became a, 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 a member of the Real Fans group, finally Curiosity got the best of me, and I watched it. And, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. Um. All right, and like going to like how I first became aware of this movie, I remember um, I remember the poster in Hollywood Video. I did not like I was not cognizant of the fact that it was in movie theaters and everything like that. However, one trip that my mom and I went to Hollywood Video, and I saw the Anne Hayes cover of the Psycho poster, and it was in the new release section of the store. And I asked my mom, like, wait, I thought there was already a Psycho. And this is kind of, like, may have been my first introduction to the ideas of remakes in the first place. So, uh, yeah. 
so I, I have to give credit where credit's due, where it introduced me to the idea of remakes. So I'll put that in the plus col- column. It's a very it's a very bare column, the plus column, but I'll give it credit where credit's due. So and my mom's and I asked her like, is it any good? And she had apparently had already rented it without my knowledge, without me knowing, and she's like, no. Like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like, she was one, like, along with my granddad, her father, like, she was kind of the person who encouraged me to be a filmmaker and film history and everything. So we would go to the movies a lot, we'd watch, and she would show me older movies just to note, like you said, to educate me in the ways of being a filmmaker and stuff. So I guess she saw it thinking, like, ah, like how bad can it be? But... Apparently it was not up to her, and then I was. Then I heard later on, like I guess amongst the internet community, where this is a bad remake. Don't watch it. It's a shot for shot remake. And I wonder, like the guy who did Google Hunting, did a shot for shot remake of Psycho. It's like a Mad Libs kind of thing. Like these things do not belong in the same sentence, but somehow do. Um, and then like. Other people like James Rolfe, the angry video game nerd, like he brought up in like his Monster Madness uh, series when he did up for he does for his normal October uh, series of reviews. I'm like, all right, I guess I really have no desire to watch it. Then once this came about <laughs> and our last conversation, I don't know what it was, but like, it's it, like uh, it's almost. I remember that line from Usual Suspects. It was kind of like it's a voiceover from Verbal Kid, like after a. A, a day's worth of McManus's bitching, we went back to work. And I just kind of felt like that's how, that was you in the back of my mind after we were done having the conversation. I'm just like, <laughs> maybe we should do it. No, we shouldn't. Maybe we should. No, I felt like Harvey Two-Face for a little bit. Like, no, no, it, the indecision was getting over me. But I'm like, you know what? If anything, it'll produce an interesting conversation. That's where we are today. So I literally saw the struggle because we were doing this on Messenger, going back and forth. I literally saw the struggle in your <laughs> going through your mind with this because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, it can't be that bad, can it? I don't know. But like, there's only one way to find out. And I remember, like, in my notes right now, I have Psycho 1998 notes. Sad. Um, angry Mr. Meesey's face next to it. Like, that's what I drew down. Like, before I wrote down, no, that's what I drew. I was like, ah, uh, like, maybe I'm setting up the failure. But let's jump into that. Uh, spoilers, people. If you've seen Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, you see, you'll see, you see the exact same movie, almost line for line, depending on a few things change. So, I guess that's the spoiler warning I'll put out there for you for a movie that's 20 years old, or uh, more than 20, almost 20 years old, 30 years old, no, yeah, 20 years old. And then... That's even older than that, because it came out in 1960, the original. So, all right. It opens up with the typical um, psycho music and then the titles, and it's like, okay, eh, this seems okay, all right. And all of a sudden, it opens up with that music on modern buildings, and for something, right. it, just, it did not feel right. Uh, and I was, my first note, no, 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 this is not... This but... 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 Gus Van Zandt was able to do that crane shot that yes. Chris wanted to do so bad. Yes. So that's 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 a that's a plus. That I I was really happy for that. That 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 brought hope to me because oh oh, oh he's actually doing the crane. Oh he's doing it. Oh nice. And that's like the my next note is like all right the camera shot that Hitch always wanted the helicopter that transitions into the crane shot that goes into the the room with. Yeah. Uh, Marion Crane and Sam Loomis in bed and everything. And 
they start having the dialogue banter, and it's pretty much almost line for line from the original script. I mean, Joseph Stefano, the original screenwriter, is the sole credit here. He readapted his screenplay, changing a little things to update for the 90s. Um, but how did you feel in this first scene and the chemistry between uh, Anne Heche and Viggo Mortensen here? Well, th- this... I've never seen Vigo <laughs> so wooden. Yeah. Um, but this this goes through everybody's acting. Anne's acting, Julianne Moore's, um, William H. Macy, who was an incredible actor. He's an incredible actor. Just wooden. Um, it, 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 was, it was like they were reading off the cue cards. Right? So I didn't... Okay. <laughs> um, so there really was no chemistry. It was, oh, this is the rehearsal of the play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I was disappointed that they didn't keep the same time period because I don't think Cycle works in a modern time period. It doesn't work in 1998. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, we've had too many things pass that, that for Psycho – for the, the plot of cycle to work. Now, yes, I'm sure that it there are things like this that could happen in our modern times. But for some reason, a movie like that just is not going to work because there's too many conveniences, too many. Um, there's not so many off the back of the roads motels. You know, there's not there there isn't that kind of stuff. So I thought they should have kept the the original '60s vibe. Yeah, I mean, at this point. Um... Scream has come out. Cell phones, even though they're not prominent, are a part of our culture. And somebody disappearing off the the grid is very unlikely. I mean, sure, very. even to this even yeah. to this day, people disappear every day. I'll, I'll right. never concede that. Uh, I'll, I'll concede that. However, this is like okay. I don't like. It just seems a little odd. And like you were saying before, like this first scene. I mean, it's like. Two pieces of wood having a conversation, and I oh and I goodness. and I and I and I respect that Anne Heche and Viggo Morrison trying their damnedest to make this work. However, I think being too adherent, another thing that will be happened throughout, that I'll point out more examples to the original screenplay, is a detriment. You had so much potential with this, especially with this starting of the scene, to make it your own and everything. And you know what? People would have loved it, hate it, whatever, but it would have been your movie. Well, and, and really, the, the thought of, oh, they're having an affair type thing in 1998 is not scandalous. There's nothing scandalous about it, and they're still treating it like this it's a scandalous thing. Yeah. You know, and it just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work in this time period. And that's why I said, if they would have set it back, I mean, even if they would have just aged it, oh, let's age it 10 years, put it in the 70s, you know, um, that may have been better. But it just, it, it doesn't transfer well. No, I mean, and you think of, like, all right, is post, at this point, like, Bill Clinton's, like, in the Monica Lewinsky situation, so I understand that's kind of, like, an affair is so scandalous and everything, but, yeah, and, and I'm like, yeah, sure, it happens at the White House, but everyday people, affairs happen much more frequent and much more than we'd like to, I guess, admit to some people, and so it's like, all right. I guess this is kind of something that should be taboo and shunned in, in certain uh, in certain communities. But after the scene, we go we follow Anne Hesh into her job, and we see an Alfred Hitchcock cameo 
as well as a Gus Van Sant cameo at the same time in the background of this scene. Right. And it's Hitchcock berating Gus Van Sant, which I feel like is the audience, really. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean like, at least that's what the audience wanted to do by the end of this movie. Um, and so the scene plays out like how it does in the original where, he comes in, where she comes in, talks to her friend, and immediately I'm like, I miss Pat Hitchcock, and she wasn't a professional actress. But she's, she was always fun. Whenever she was in one of Hitch's movies, she was always fun. Yes. And, and like, and, oh, go on. Oh, and, and, and definitely in her, her famous psycho scene. I mean, that, she's just playing for laughs, really, at, in that scene. And it's fun, and it, and it works. And for this one, like, this iteration, like, the, um, Marion's a coworker, it just seems so sultry. And I'm like, that's not kind of appropriate for this. No, and they're like, I'm like, and just I'm like, I'm like, who are you playing this to? Like, that's your friend you talked to. Are you coming? Like, it's like, there's no men in the room, or you're are you coming under her? It's like, who? Like, why are you putting that kind of inflection <laughs> for this? It's like, Teddy called. I'm like, all right, what'd you talk about? Nothing important. All right then. <laughs> and then of course we have the gentleman who's buying the house and has the now four hundred thousand dollars worth of cash. And he pulls out $400,000 in, like, two bricks of cash and $100 denominations. That's $4,000 $100 bills. That doesn't look like $4,100 bills in his hand. And and not to mention that in 1998, no one's going to pull that kind of money out of their pocket. No! And and that's, I think, a lot of the failures. And And I'll end up hitting on this several other times as we're going through about this part doesn't work because it's set in 1998 and not in 1960-whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, like he's not Mayweather. He's not going to be carrying around a million dollars worth of cash on him <laughs> at all times. Like, who is he kidding? And for some reason, like, I don't know, like, he, of course the actor who's playing in this role is just trying to be kind of sleazy and everything like that. However, right. it just seems like, like you said before, it just seems flat. Well, well, they, I think they sleezed them up a little too much. Yeah. Um, because, because it, yes, the guy was kind of a sleaze in the original, but it wasn't as sleazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's degrees mean? of it. It, it, it yeah, it, 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 it was, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a latch, but, but not much more. This guy came across as, oh, I'm going to get you, I'm going to slip you a roofie, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, even, like, the line that I'll always remember this movie, like, when Pat Hitchcock goes, I do declare, I don't. It's how I get to keep it. Right. And this one's like, all right, tax evasion's a thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're for Capone, man. They'll get you. If you're going to really just flaunt a <laughs> camera $100,000 of cash in your breast pocket, like, all right, guy. And so Anne H. decides, like, gosh, oh, she's going to leave early and she's supposed to take the money to the bank and then he'll get a right check, yada, yada, yada. And then we go into when she's supposed to – and she was wearing one – oh, I forget. I didn't write down the color. I apologize. She does change the color of her bra, but she's not wearing a black bra at the – when she's supposed to be the pivotal moment when she's made a character change. Right, right. It's like, she's not. It's like lime green. I'm like, that doesn't yeah. – I'm like – I mean, that's one that's uh... like – Maybe her stuff got moldy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, all right, it's wash day. I, all right, I'll give you that. But I'm just like, it was something, you're so adherent to so many different things of the movie, you didn't bring that over. It's 
baffling, especially to the fact yeah. where I watched the behind the scenes in the DVD where they would screen scenes from the movie before they shot it for the cast and crew. And I'm like, all right, that's really simple to go to the costume designer and be like, yeah, can I have a black bra in an Asia's size? And then that's a 10-second conversation and less grief that I'm giving you right now 20 years later. Right. And right. so, and then, of course, like, Anne Hitch goes on the run. And then Hitchcock didn't like to shoot on location. He preferred the control of the studio and everything. So a lot of his scenes were... Pro- Blue like process where like footage is running in the background while they're the yeah. actors sing in the car and driving it. And since then, location shooting and shooting in cars have become much more prevalent and much more easier. And but he's but Gus Van Sant decides to do green screen for the car shoots. I don't understand why. And and again, if you would have said it in nineteen sixties, I would have bought it. But Definitely. Since he decided to upgrade it to ninety eight. It definitely doesn't. It doesn't sell. No, you know? and like even at moments where, like in the next scene when James Remar, who plays the um, the state trooper, and I'm like, all right, like that shot in location, that shot in the studio. Why would you even bother? Why don't you just get the coverage and shoot the scene there? Why come back to the studio to shoot the rest of it? I like I understand like you want to do a shot for shot remake of it and using the similar techniques, but. Obviously, from the very first shot of the helicopter, you're willing to upgrade and update how the movie's presented to an audience in 1998. It's, it's kind of baffling to me. Right. Right. And and that's another scene because of <laughs> the update of the date. The cop scene doesn't work because cops are not – they weren't looked upon like that in 1998. Now, in 1960, yes. Oh, definitely. Cops were authority – and they're still an authority figure. But they're not that kind of an authority figure in 1998, where, where when they stop, where when she pulls, when he pulls up and asks her all those questions, she'd have got out of that a long time ago, you know. And then when he shows up at the car dealer, it's like, no state trooper is going to do that if he sees you at a car dealer. He doesn't care. No. All right. What are your feelings on the car dealership scene with James uh, Legros now as California Charlie? <sighs> I'm going to beat a dead horse. Again, this scene doesn't work in 1998. Yeah. It it, 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 it it just doesn't. There's nothing about that scene. They, If they were going to upgrade it, that's this. And as much as the other ones are kind of glaring out of, out of time, this is probably the most glaring out of time scene. Because it just, I mean, car dealers do not act like that at all anymore. No. I mean, like, I just signed up for a new lease not a couple of months ago and dealer I dealt with was nothing like this. Sure he's shady because he's a car dealer car dealer, but I uh, um nothing like California Charlie here. Like the first customer's always trouble or anything like that. Right. Um, right. And I'm just like James LeGrosse, I'm like, oh man, you were in point break, dude. You can do a better performance than this. And like I know you're not the biggest fan of Point Break. I just realized, I just remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like I'm trying to think what else. Like, he was great on Law and Order. But anyway, and so she's Anne Hayes is Marion Crane. She changes cars and then keeps driving and driving and hearing the voices in her head, like her conscience messing with her as it starts to rain. It becomes a torrential downpour and she has nowhere to go. And then she pulls into a lot of the Bates Motel. Huh, okay. Another thing that updates it that doesn't really work. 
Now, in the 1960 version, a lot of people, like, in a lot of the blocking throughout the scenes, the characters would slide across the bench seats of their cars to get in from one side to another. Gus Van Sant continues to do that in this movie, but a lot of the cars don't have bench seats, and so they have to hop the gear shift to get over. I'm like, right. oh, that's just awkward to adhere right. to that. Right. So she honks her horn, and then she sees a shadow of a woman in the window that we know it's to be, we believe to be Norman's mother. We'll find out later. And so we get introduced to Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. <laughs> I'll let you take this one first. It's got to be the worst casting ever. <laughs> it, I, and here's, here's the bad thing. Okay. I've seen Vince Vaughn do dramatic work. Um, watch... Um, oh, that recent Mel Gibson movie. Like, um, the Hacksaw war Ridge. movie he just... Yes, Hacksaw Ridge. Vince Vaughn is amazing in that as the as the drill, as the sergeant. You know, he's... Oh, he's great in it. And I've seen him in other stuff where he's great. But in this... The, the perfection of the first one is you're always rooting for Norman because you you don't you, you really don't know that he's crazy. The first second you see Vince, he's got this hunched over look and the way he's the way he's you know he's crazy. You know that there's no way that he's not the killer. Yeah. And in fact like I love like the, the first night the first moment when he comes down with the umbrella to let her into the office Dirty night. <laughs> like, oh, I burst out laughing. I paused the movie because I was, it was gut-punching laughter. I was like, oh my god, that's the take he's going with it. Oh man, I, 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 I messaged you right after that. I'm just like, this yeah. is, like, oh, this is hilarious. I'm like, all right, this is good. like, I, I, I may have gripes, but that just made it for me in all the wrong ways. <laughs> it's it, it's it's uncomfortable. To, it's really his performance is uncomfortable to watch. It re, for me, it was so uncomfortable to watch because it just it never rang true. It all it rang was, um, I'm not going. I, I'm not anywhere near Anthony Perkins' level, so I'm just going to go for the crazy the craziest way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then and so. He checks Anne Hache's Anne Hache and they have the conflict. Like, then they decides to have dinner, but then you hear the famous like argument that's happening up up at the uh, house that and then Marion overhears between Norman and his mother. At this point, like whoever the voice of the mother, I'm like, hold on, let me look this up right now because I want to see. Did they, did they have to voice the mother? But <coughs> anyway, but I was just like, all right, this you have a real opportunity to just do it. Make the mother really vicious. This is a place yeah. where you update, like, like curse him out, like really berate him to make this the mother sound really evil. Like you couldn't get away with that in 1960. But no, it's kind of like, no, I'm in. What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, this is <laughs> this is this is a bit right, right, right. At this point, don't be afraid to call the girl that slut. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, really, go into it. Just show how oppressive that she was. I mean, obviously we find out now that it's Norman reflecting how oppressed she was, but um, just show how oppressing she was to him. And, and, and it would be fine. I mean, if you're going to update the money to 400,000 instead of 40,000, then update the language. 
Yeah, I mean, even in the behind-the-scenes featurette, but Stefano was willing to update things from the 60 version up until 1998, so it's not like he'd be opposed to changing a few lines of dialogue. Obviously, you're going to get a rated R rating, so go for the throat. Now, I'm not talking about having, like, Rob Zombie level of cursing where, like, like, bitch, I will crawl over there and skull fuck the shit out of you, which is a terrible lie, but it was like, my final synapse in my brain when I'm on my deathbed, that line will go through my head and I will, I will be like, God damn it, why do I remember that? That's so bad. <laughs> and so, like, okay, like, you could have had an opportunity here to change things and you did it. It was so timid, but... Norman comes down to have dinner with uh, Marion in the office, the famous scene where we see the psychosis of Norman really become pronounced. And the one thing I thought was interesting for this scene, rather than cutting from the three shots of Norman as the conversation escalates, Gus decides to move the camera into those positions, which I thought was a little interesting and kind of like, all right, I'll go with that. it, it's a way to make it your own. Mm-hmm. Take, you know, minus a couple of things that you had to change. You yeah. know, like if you really okay, I'm going to do shot for shot so bad that I'm going to make it where we don't we don't go out and you know we're going to do the green screen on the cards. All right, then then do the cards. Yeah, I mean it was like like okay like. I understand, like, wanting to do it a certain way this way, and you want to do, you want to be adherent to that way, but, like, I don't know, I just feel like it's just so, it's just, alright. One thing, the one idea that came to mind while I was rewatching is, like, I shouldn't be upset that they're remaking this. Because, you do that in theater, nobody bats an eye. True. Oh, so true, Yes. And, and then I wonder, like, okay, why is it fine here, but you do it in this medium, it's all of a sudden it's sacrilege. That's the one question that came up, especially during this scene. Why do you think people are willing to forgive, like, all right, we have a new rendition of Hamlet or Macbeth or Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, but you do that for a movie and people all of a sudden push it to arm's length? Because, because what makes the, a theater experience timeless is the fact that you're able to do it over and over again. What makes a movie experience timeless is the original movie and how it made you feel. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. Because you you can play that same movie over and over and over again. Right. Um, But you're not going – I mean because every theater – you can go see um, Hamilton seven nights in a row. You're going to do a different performance all seven nights. Yeah. And you know, I mean, not to a great extent, but enough that you you notice. Yes, because like every like every every actor will bring something a little different. Their energies will be different, and even though they're yep. saying the same lines and have the same objectives, it will be the nuances will be slightly different. Yeah, I, that's why you know some some directors do so many takes because they're looking for that right take because each take is a different animal. Right. Now thinking about that, putting it in that perspective, I guess I can't really be too angry at like people like Stanley Kubrick and David Fincher, people known for doing many, many takes. Right. 
unless unless you're Shelley Duvall. In that in that case, you're always mad. You'll always be mad at Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> well, you you need to watch the interview with Malcolm McDowell about the Clockwork Orange scene where he had the the things in his eyes and he kept putting drops in, Oof. and how many takes that took. It's it's quite horrendous. And Malcolm keeps a good spirit about it. I mean, Malcolm's crazy anyways. But, um, but oh. it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just an interesting uh, conversation he has. Yeah. I mean, I've always wanted, like, I, I, there must have been a movie together, but I would always love to see Malcolm McDowell versus Terrence Stamp in any movie. For some reason, those two always, like, come to my mind. It's, like, very similar oh, actors willing to go there for any role. Right. And just, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'm just now just just matching like old Malcolm McDowell and like old Terrence Stamp just yelling at each other. But anyway, sidebar like obviously a a more interesting story that's being told for us in this movie. Anyway, right. <laughs> <laughs> like let's make up our own movie. We'll have more fun right now. Um, and so Marion decides, you know what? I'm gonna get out of my own personal hell. I'm gonna pay the money back. I'm gonna go back to Phoenix and everything, and let put all this personal trap business behind her, but, like, I'm going to go take a shower and, and free herself from all the dirt and, and the grind that she's dealt with. Right. And then Norman decides to watch her. I mean, it's Anne Hayes. I, I, say what you want about the girl. She is a, she is an attractive woman. Yes. She's one of the few females that can pull off that short of a pixie cut and still be, wow. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. Wait, wait was, uh... Was that her in Six Days and Seven Nights, the Harrison Ford movie? Yes. Okay. I'm just trying to think, like, people in that, that haircut. I'm like, was that her? I'm like, yes, it was. Okay. Um, so Norman decides to watch her through the people that he's drilled through the wall and explicitly masturbates. Oh, explicitly, yeah. Yeah, that... <laughs> oh. That, that, that really bothered me. Not because I don't think somebody would do that, it bothered me because Hitch very much avoided any kind of insinuation that's what he what he was doing. Um, in, Hitch's, in Hitch's mind, he was just watching her. That was it. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, there was no... Anthony didn't even leer. He just watched. You know what I mean? Kind of the, this voyeuristic type thing. Um, but Gus and, and uh, Vince Vaughn decided, oh, this is the way we're going to go. And it just... It just it just turns sleazy. It, it 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 takes away. And again, the genius of the original is you're always rooting for Norman. Yeah, you're not rooting for Norman after this. Sorry, not going to happen. No, and like even like when you mentioned like with Anthony Perkins just leering at at um what was it uh wow like um Jen Lee. Jen Lee. I'm sorry. Like I was like I just went full. I just blanked right there. Um. And, like, even that, that's always creepier. Especially when you go to, like, the extreme close-up of his eye as, like, you know that's at the precise moment when she's getting changed. And when we cut back to his point of view, she's putting on the bathrobe. And then he puts, he puts right. the painting up and he leaves. And you're like, oh, that's just really unnerving. But here it's like, all right, he's explicitly masturbates to her. And then it's like, dude's a two-pump chump. And I'm like, like, <laughs> he gives, like... He gives Judith Myers' boyfriend from the opening of Halloween a run for his money as, like, the quickest guy ever seen in a movie. I'm like, oh, it's like, all right, and he's done. I'm like, hmm, wow, 
all right then. And then he goes back up, goes back up to his house, and 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 Hayes Marion gets into the shower, turns it on, and everything. Okay, I know this is gonna be very nitpicky. I don't like the shower curtain. You are not the first person I heard say that. Really? Uh, I've heard that several times. And you know what? Uh, this last time I watched it for this show was only the second time I watched it. And again, I didn't even notice the shower curtain. I di- it didn't even... I didn't even notice it. It's, and like, in the behind the scenes, you see him go through a selection and like there was one that was very similar to the original. He's like, no, no, let's do this. And the point of the simple shower curtain for the original scene is that Janet Lee's back is to the front the door at the entrance to the bathroom and we the right. audience see still see it yeah with this you can't it's obscure no. because of the pattern right you you right. And, oh go on i and, and i think the reason why i don't keep noticing is because every time i watch this movie i get take that 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 <laughs> that masturbation scene like i said second time and it took me out again. It took me a little bit to get back into the movie because that's just it's 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 a jarring scene. So, and then it's like okay, like and the only reason why the audience is nervous is because you know what's going to happen because you've seen the original, not because the filmmakers have made it obvious that there's somebody in the bathroom with her approaching her, and then we see the Norman I mean, uh, mother. Oh, pull back the curtain, hold up the knife, and it pauses for a few beats. I'm like, uh, stab? Uh, stab? Okay, now okay, now she stabbed. Like, it was like an awkward beat, and there was like, the music hadn't come in yet, and then she starts stabbing, and it's like, the, the sound effects are really obnoxious, where you get to see these weird dreamlike flashes of, like, weather. And I'm like, okay, all right, yeah. hold on. If you want to start throwing in your own personal taste here, it's not in this scene. I'm sorry. I know it sounds like I'm being uh, I'm being hypocritical with like saying make it your own. However, you've been so strict to what the movie has been up until this point to all of a sudden to make such a veer left into your own personal interpretation for this scene, arguably the most famous scene in this movie and one of the most famous scenes in cinema history. And it just becomes like, all right, this is really strange. And this isn't the only time that he throws something like that in there. No. Whenever there's a kill, he does that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and like my next, my next note is, ARG With a bunch of H's and a bunch of exclamation <laughs> points. And I almost like threw down the pegs. I didn't want to take notes anymore. I'm like, 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 Jesus Christ. I mean, you had, <sighs> and even like, there was a, on the special features, I keep bringing this up, it shows Gus Van Sant, like, one of his student movies when he made, like, a fake commercial when he was in college where he parodies this um, very exact scene and the murder for a shampoo commercial. And it was funny. It was adherent to its own, the original, but also made its own, and it was more creative. Excuse me. And I'm like, all right, you had that kind of panache to make something that's very famous your own, However, for this, it's like, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't sit right. Maybe it's because I'm too close to the original. I don't know. If I had never seen the original and came into this, I wonder if I would feel different. I, I, don't, I don't think so. Because by, by the... I, the scene is so famous that even people who've never seen the original know the scene. Um, 
I mean, even even if you watch any spoof movies that m- mimic this scene, they still do a better job than <laughs> Gus Van Zandt did, and they're spoofing it. Yeah, I mean, hold on. I what was it? Um, um, what was it? Hell, even Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes did this parody once, and it was hilarious with Bugs Bunny as the one who's supposed to be dying and everything in this scene. And it's like it's a terrible movie that I think it's like Looney Tunes back in action. I'm pretty sure at the moment Brendan Fraser. Yeah, and yep. I, I I lose it every time during that scene because it is hilarious. And, and like it, but that's more adherent to this and more faithful and more respectful to this scene than this movie, the one that's supposed to be the supposed remake of it. I don't know. Before I get too angry, let's move on. And so <laughs> we have Norman cleaning up the body, and it's pretty. Oh, much- wait, 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 wait. You forgot the biggest part. Oh? And Hesh's asshole. Ah! How could I forget? <laughs> I'm just so caught up in, in my own, so flaccant because of this scene. And I'm just like, no, no, let's, I want to get on. I want to put it behind me. I want to like, I want to have like PTSD about this and wake up in the middle of the night with night, with night terrors because of this scene. <laughs> but I know what's going to happen. Oh, I, I mean, oh, hell, even <laughs> Jamie, now I just have, if anybody who's listened to any Kevin Smith's podcast, specifically Hollywood Babylon, that there was a jingle because Kevin Smith was obsessed with this moment when Anne Hache dies and falls forward from the tub. And it's the overhead shot where we see when she takes down the shower curtain in her collapse, you get to see her sphincter for a little bit, and, you know, for a moment. <laughs> and so they created a jingle called Anne Hache's butthole, Anne Hache's butthole, Anne Hache's butthole, let's all go inside. And... <laughs> And so when you suppose, when you brought this up to me, I'm just like, you know what? That's all I'm gonna think about. We'll watch this. And when they got to that scene, I always tweet. I always pause and tweeted the, the image at Kevin Smith and be like, like I, for years I've been listening to that jingle, but now I finally experienced it. But I'm like now, <laughs> because if I pause it, I'm gonna be prolonging this movie. I didn't want to do any more. I just wanted to keep it going. Ah, uh, so that's gonna be stuck in my head for a couple days now. Until at least this episode's put up. <laughs> um. And this is where, like, another note that I put down, like, the movie's so jarring because of the stilted dialogue. When there's a scene where it's no dialogue and it's all action, Vince Vaughn does a decent job here of seeming upset and have to clean up this this scene. I mean... Mm, I guess. I... I... I just had... I, I, since, since the way they he decided to play Norman, I... I Every time that Vince is on the screen, I pretty much dismiss those times because he just he because they take away from the magic of 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 the whole thing. I mean, really, I mean, like like I've said, the original is no matter what, you're rooting for Norman, even when you've seen it a hundred times like me, you're still rooting for Norman to be the good guy. Yeah. You know, you not once do you feel that way towards Vince's character. No. And I even love when he, he mimics the hands to the mouth and everything. I'm like, that just seems kind of contrived. Yeah. I'm like, this doesn't... Like, one of, the, one of these things is not like the other. Um, and then... So he 
takes Anne H's body, puts her in her car, pushes it into the swamp. We have the moment when the car is supposed to stop. Like, it stops in the swamp because it gets stuck and then eventually sinks. And it cuts that close-up of Vince Vaughn. Like, you're not really scared, are you? You're bored. Or maybe like, I'm just bored. I don't know. <laughs> it was just like, uh, there's, there's no tension here. Is that the scene that he gives that terrible smile to? He does a terrible smile in that scene too, doesn't he? I think so. Maybe not. Maybe I'm... Yeah, it's just, uh. <laughs> I just I just want to redub. I want to take that scene and redub it with just his laughter of him like dragging the body. <laughs> I'm gonna put a body in the trunk. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, just like you know what? Go for it. Go big at this point. Like if you want to go crazy and be very out there, might as well swing for the fences. At least on one take. I mean, you may end up like George C. Scott in. Uh, Doctor Strangelove, where it's just all the big, the big takes and everything. But at least your performance would be more memorable, right? Uh, but anyway, so yeah, she's gone, and we cut to uh, Sam in his in the hardware store, and Flea. All of a sudden, is the guy working the counter? Oh yeah, yeah. That well. I have to say this before we get too far. I was very disappointed, and I know that the, the that it was not there anymore, but I was very disappointed that we didn't have the original Psycho House. Yeah. And I, I understand why they had to do it that way. I just I just need to put that in there. I just need that in there. But, yeah, Flea, and I, I've seen Flea in other movies, and he's great in a certain kind of role. I I didn't take him as the, as the innocent behind-the-counter... Uh, I'm working for Sam type. It, it just didn't work for me. No, he's the guy who robs Sam when the store is closed at night. <laughs> right. He right. The one, he's not the one working there. Or or or, or like he did in The Chase where he, him and Anthony Kiedis played those crazy redneck guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, that's the kind of role he fits in because that's what he does. You know, he's he's a goofy character outside. And yes, I know he's also an actor, and actors can do other roles. <laughs> but there are some times when you look at an actor and you say, "Yeah, you're good, but no one's going to buy you in this because of who you are." <laughs> I haven't thought about the movie in a long time, but now I'm just imagining that scene. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of cameras there watching us. We're going to be heroes, man. Right, <laughs> and Henry Rollins, the very the angriest LAP, LAPD officer in the world, behind the wheel of a car. I love Henry Rollins. I love him. I love. I, I listen to his podcast. All the spoken word stuff. I will watch a movie just because Henry Rollins in it is in it. Oh yeah, I mean, I got a chance to see him. He did a spoken word tour. Actually, this time last year, he came to Long Island and comes out. Two and a half hours doesn't didn't take a single breath and then left nope. and I'm like and I'm like that's magic right there that and, is... and just leaves you floored with the way he can tell a story and it's how he leapfrogs from serious to silly stories yes. in an instant I mean uh, do you listen to his Heidi and his the Henry and Heidi Mace podcast No I didn't know he actually had a podcast. It's not very consistent. There's maybe twelve to twenty. I don't even think it's up to that twenty of them out there. Listen to them. They are a blast to listen to. They're they're just a blast. It's so funny. I was actually just thinking about one of his like stand ups where he was talking about 
Erlen State, I know. Total tangent, people. I apologize. We'll get back to that uh, in just a second. They can deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was talking about when he went to the Kill Bill premiere, and he was describing Quentin Tarantino on stage. He's like, it was like a rat on cocaine. And he came out, and he's like, like ah, 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 ah. I'm like, his metabolism must be through the roof. And just like how his short breath was making me so anxious. And I can, I can imagine, like, it, so how descriptive and visual that he is able to paint a picture for you. And I'm like, oh, that is so funny right there. And I wish I could have been a fly in the wall for that situation. Anyway, also, Flea, even in Back to the Future Part 2 and 3, and it's like right. three minutes total. I always I always love him as needles in that. Right. But, um... Other than that, we get we get Viggo Mortensen. We're introduced to Julianne Moore, who who's playing Marion Crane's sister. Julianne's first movie role, if I remember correctly. No, because Boogie, yeah. Nights, Boogie Nights was before this. Uh, are you sure? Boogie Nights, I think, was ninety seven. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, I'm looking it up. I'm going to look it up. I thought it was her first role. No, I think yeah, it was ninety seven. Oh, huh. is it 2097? Yeah. But no, it, regardless, early Ju- Julianne Moore. Oh, yes, very early. All right. You're and fi- the same with, with Vigo. It's, it's, it's early him, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird because he was in this, and then we brought it up when we did our Hitchcock episode, um, our top ten Hitchcock that you can find in the feed if you want to listen to that, people. Uh, Go listen to it. It's fun. Yes. Even, <laughs> even my heavy breathing. It's, it's worth it. It's less uncomfortable. It's much less uncomfortable than watching... Uh, Vince Vaughn pure through a peephole, that's for sure. I'll, I'll right, right. And, that. And, and I'm not masturbating, I'm just breathing heavy, that's all. Yes. <laughs> Even if we are talking about Hitchcock, there was no masturbation going on during the podcast. Afterwards, I, I can't guarantee. I, I will not confirm nor divide, deny those rumors. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what do you think about Julianne Moore's performance in this movie? She was probably the best part of the movie. That's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was like, and she, she's the first. She's actually she's the only person that I thought she that it was actually trying to not make try, make this movie more than what it was because yeah. because when she came on, well, and and Julia Moore, she's she's just awesome. Anyways. So, but she, uh, she, she's probably the best acting out of the whole thing. And that's not saying much, especially considering the actors and how bad that, that they did. And I, I don't take it as any of their fault. I think it's pure direction. Yeah. I, um, I'm sorry, go on. No, it, it, yeah, but yeah, she, she's, I didn't mind her, Marion Crane. It was, it was fine. Um, some of the dialogue choices that they decided to put in were a little bit, off but she was fine yeah i mean she at least she had she brought something to it she had an idea and she had a she made a choice with the dialogue she was given that she wanted to be very fierce and very no nonsense very even more so than how vera miles was in the original that's what made her stand out because everybody else played the dialogue straight and then the biggest detriment to that is the next actor that's introduced in this scene with William H. Macy as Arbogast. And, and William H. Macy is always, except this time, good. Um, 
I've always been a fan of him because he always brings his A game. Except this one. <laughs> his Arbogast is just flat. I mean, I mean, it couldn't have been flatter if he was drawn on a piece of white paper <laughs> with white crayon. I mean, <laughs> it is. And I and it's not William's fault. I completely believe it's all direction. Um, because I, where did I hear it from? That William H. Macy was willing to throw himself down the stairs for for his kill. Yes. But Gus Van Zandt refused and did it the old-fashioned way. Which, so that's why I think I think the whole thing is uh, director. It's 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 the direction. I really honestly believe it's the direction. And this is this is a character that they could have cut out because he, Private Eye does not work in 1998. Not for this. No. Unless you were unless updating other things. But, like, he, he is in a different movie. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. William H. Macy is in a completely different movie than everybody else. He thinks he's in a, he thinks he's in a Mickey Spillane adaptation when he is not. Right. Right. And, and like, even with the hat, like, even the hat choice, I'm like, uh, I'm like, like, where the fuck did they find you? Like, <laughs> like, seriously, like, I'm like, okay. In the original, I'm like, I can understand that's the private eye to Martin Balsam to be the actor to hire and that performance and that character because he brought so much to it. But here's like, hi, everybody. It's just like, like, what's the guy looks like he just filled up the, the set of Andy Griffith's show and showed up in this movie in 1998. I'm like, this is... This is not right, and, it, and it's funny. Like in this scene with Viggo Mortensen in that setting, for some reason, I, I, my next note is like, I wish I was watching a history of violence. Honestly, <laughs> great movie. Yeah, God, what a great movie! And Viggo is so good. He, I, he, and here's the thing: you got three, three grade A actors in this scene, and yes, Julianne Moore and Viggo Mortensen are very young in their career. Still, they didn't grow that much as actors between – I mean, I, they, they, they've always had the talent. And you have these incredible talents in this scene, and you're just sitting there going, there's nothing here. No. And the staging is awkward. The blocking is – I'm just like, oh, this is just so – This is, because at this point – the movie has changed radically in the original and, excuse me, in here. I don't know why I'm so gassy today. I think it's this movie that's doing this to me. <laughs> it's making you sick to your stomach. Yeah, exactly. It's the acid reflex. It's the acid reflex when you talk about this movie. <laughs> I, like, if I have to go to the hospital, I'm going to write a, a very strongly word letter from my bed to guess and say, like, look what you did to me. You put me in the hospital. I'm in the ICU because of your decision, sir. I hope you're happy. P.S. Google hunting was awesome, um, and so like and I and like I mentioned with history of violence, like I wish Viggo Morrison had a pot of coffee in his hand to smash into somebody's face. I wish he smashed in my face; it would make it so much better. And then, <laughs> and even in that movie, in history of violence, he plays a very subdued person on purpose because he does not want to raise suspicion. Here, right. he's so subdued; he's like, I don't know what's going on here, like. Freaking country well, bumpkin. So, and here's the thing. With 
with putting this movie in 1998, Sam Lewis is is an is an outdated character. He is he is a character out of time. He might as well be the the kid in King Arthur's court because that's how out of place he is. <laughs> and because it just, I mean, it it doesn't work. <laughs> I I honest I honestly feel. I still don't think it would be a really good remake, but if he would have set this in 1960, or like I said, 10 years later, 1970, all this would have worked much better. Yeah, I mean, put Sam Lewis in a pair of bell-bottoms, and all of a sudden that character comes more alive than what it is right now. <laughs> uh, just, a, just a, yeah. I mean, just like, like Captain Tennille playing in the background, I don't know, and it all of a sudden, like, <laughs> nobody, like... There's so many questions that would be alleviated at that point. And so we find out that Arbogast has been, like in the original, hired to all, like to be the investigator to find Marion Crane and find the $400,000. And so we follow him in this montage of going from hotel to hotel. And eventually he ends up at the Bates Motel and Vince Vaughn's wearing a turtleneck. Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> I know it's 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 kind of shitty to get on somebody because like how their how their body is. I'm like, yeah, Vince Vaughn is a very particular body type. That's why you don't put him in clothes like and, that. Right. <laughs> right. First off, you don't cast Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. Yes. Then, you know. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he looks like uh, for some reason that turn like looks like it's a it's a size too small. A. Uh, yes, yes. And it's not like this is like this yeah. is when like Vince Vaughn like he's always been not, I want to say bulky, but he's always been kind of lean because of his height and everything like that. Like surely like, he got like I guess a little bit heavier just like how age went on, but like he was never like fat or anything like that. But for some reason here I'm like I don't know. Well, I feel like it yeah, should be like with, go on with with that turtleneck. He looks like an extremely hard uncircumcised penis. <laughs> I was going to make a different comparison, but you know what? Um, <laughs> that works. <laughs> it does. I mean, like, I feel like he should be in the birdcage for some reason with that turtleneck. I don't know why. <laughs> I just feel like he's, he's approaching. And that plays into my my comparison even more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, he should go up to him and goes, Fotsy, Fotsy, Fotsy. And all of a sudden, and like, but Madonna, Madonna, for some reason, that would be like, all right, Norman's more memorable because he's so outlandish, like, if Mary was here, she got the hell out of Dodge fast because she wouldn't stay here a night. Right. Nobody would nobody would look twice at this. And so it goes as the scene with Arbogast interrogating Norman, and we have that like, no, I, I like well if it doesn't gel, it's not jello. Like that's a that's a terrible line reading from Arbogast. Oh, it's so bad. And then they they try to emulate that weird camera angle that's so low and like Vince Vaughn cranes his neck to <laughs> crane. Uh, cranes. His neck. <laughs> I didn't even mean it like that. I'm the I'm the perpetrator of bad puns. To look over. Yes, you are. At, yes, at the at the ledger, and I'm like, this is just so unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. See it, the the that shot. One that shot worked in the original because it's Hitchcock. Two because Anthony Perkins has the body type for that kind of a shot. Yeah. Um. Three, black and white. Yes. Uh, color, Vince Vaughn's body type, and Gus Van Zandt is talented, but he's no Kitch Hitchcock. So, that's all. It, it, that seems to, 
I know why I put it in there because he supposedly emulating the whole thing, but it just doesn't work. Right. Black and white would it would have been better black and white. Do you think okay so what if this movie was still in nineteen ninety eight but it was in black and white would that have made the movie better? No. No it would have made some shots better. Okay. Like 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 the it would have made the shower 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 scene better. It would have made the 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 shot about the under the under angle shot towards um Norman better. It made the end shot, the very very end shot that we'll get to. Um and it would made it would have made the the car when he's pushing the car into the into into the swamp, it would have made that shot better. It would have made shots better. It would it wouldn't have made the movie better. Okay. That's fair. In my opinion in my opinion. Right. And then Arbogast goes to the payphone to tell everybody about it, and I'm like, I'm like, well, payphones weren't uh, uh, dying. They uh, were still around 1998. They yeah. were still moving. I didn't get my first cell phone until 99, 2000. Okay, nice. Um, I have to ask: Was it a flip phone or is it a brick? Like just a huge brick? I was a huge brick. One of those Nextel ones. One of those huge bricks, con- uh, construction ones. They just I could have threw that thing against a brick wall and it wouldn't done anything. I mean, it's probably somehow still have power to this day. I mean, it probably it probably could like if it had it could get service, it would still work to this day. Oh, probably. If 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 I still had it, that that thing would probably work. I would look ridiculous, <laughs> and because every time you put it in your pocket, your pants were falling down because it was so heavy. But, <laughs> um, and so, so he goes up to the house and like I'm I'm sorry I didn't bring it up earlier, but you're right. The house just looks like I understand. Changing that, the famous house, despite the fact that the original house is still there, you put this facade up in front of it. Right, right. It. It's because the original facade was tore down. So they just put the facade up in front of a different house. Yeah. Um, like, you could have made it look the, like the original, but this one, it just looks odd. It, it, it does. It doesn't. It, it And it... And now, it may be because I... The, the house seems to sit closer to the to the hotel too. I, and I, and I just maybe me remembering it wrong. Cause it's been a couple of weeks. I watched it a couple of weeks ago and I wasn't watching it again. So <laughs> I don't blame you. Neither was I. I watched it once. I'm like, all right, I'm going to return it now. Like I'm going to bring it back to the library and I'm going to scrub my hands. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Arby goes up to the house, goes up to, cause he believes, um, Norman's mother may know some information about Marion goes up the stairs it does the same scene like how it always does, where mother comes out, stabs him, and he falls down the stairs. However, in this one, he gets a Tony Montana Scarface cut across his cheek and top of his yeah. eye. And then he yeah. falls back down the stairs. Oh, my God. And you know what? <laughs> ha- paying the stunt, the probably the, the paying William H. Macy money to do the stunts, falling down the stairs... It would probably be cheaper than to have him sit in the crane and then uh, wave his arms in the air like he just don't care and green right. screen into the shot. It was... Uh. Right. Yeah, yeah. When you get, when you have an actor like William Ace Macy, who at the time was still... I mean, he's been around... William Ace Macy's been around forever. Um, his first role was in... Barry Gordon's Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, and 
Was it really that far back? Yes. 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 Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. He plays um, Vanity's manager. Holy yeah. Shit. Yeah. He's only in it for he's only in it for a little bit, but yeah, he's in it. That was his first role. Um, actually, Chaz Palminteri's first role is in that one movie too. Um, the more you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so he's been around forever. William Hays Mason's been around forever, and um, now this is Psycho's after Fargo, right? When was Fargo released? 96. 90, yes. See, and so Macy is already established as one of the kings of character acting. He's great. He really is. Um, so you get an actor of his caliber willing. Oh, I'll throw myself down the stairs. All right. Here we go. Here's your extra hundred bucks. Go do it. You know, I mean, I know it's more than a hundred bucks, but you know. Yeah. You set up two to three cameras. You don't have to do it more than once and you do it. Right, and it's like, and then now I'm just imagining Arby Guest with his uh, accent from Fargo. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, 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 I, but I believe Marion's here in town. I, I gotta find her uh, from Minnesota. Uh, oh, I bet you, yeah. I, I, I believe she stayed at the Bates Motel. Don't worry, I'm coming back for you. The heck do you mean? Ah, <laughs> uh, and so Arby Guest is dead. We have this weird dream. We kind of like the weird dream imagery when he dies. Same as, like, how Marion was killed. Yeah. And so, uh, Lila and Sam decide they want to go find out more about this, so they go to the sheriff, and we awkwardly cut into the house of the sheriff. We don't see the sheriff come down and introduce himself. And it's like a who's who of P.T. Anderson actors in this movie, because you had Julianne Moore, William yes. Spacey, and now Philip Baker Hall right. in a thankless role. Oh, oh, Yes. And even he can't make he can't even salvage this scene. <laughs> and I could watch him read the phone book and I'd be mesmerized. Right. And I'm just right. like, Jesus Christ, I mean like he's in one scene in Enemy of the State, and I love him in that, and he can't make this scene of work, and I'm like, Ugh And like William H. Mage deserved more, Philip Baker Hall deserved more in this scene, and so Eventually, they decide that Sam and Lila decide to go up to the basement help poses a couple to find out what happened to Arbogast and Marion. And another thing, that, another outfit thing I'm calling out is the kind of like weird shirt that Julianne Moore is wearing here. I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck is she wearing? I'm like, this is such a like she looks like she, like Anastasia's the nineties and everything like that. But I'm like, you look like I don't think I could see. Like, Nev Campbell and Scream wouldn't wear that. Like, that's how 90s your <laughs> outfit is right there. Yeah. And so we have, then, of course, it cuts between Julian Moore going up to the house to find out what happened and Viggo Morrison and Vince Vaughn having their conversation. Which is just a terrible interaction between the two. Oh. Just terrible. Now, yeah. Now, I won't. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> You're just at a loss. Because it's so it's so terrible. Because in the original, the tension's building. And you can see Perkins. You can, you can see the tension rising in Perkins. You can literally see it rising in him. As as it's that play between Norman and Sam go. This it, it just doesn't work at all. It's and I, one thing I will say about the scene that I liked is that in order to incapacitate Sam, that 
Norman grabs a golf club and clubs him in the head with it to knock him out. Okay, I can buy that. That works. Anybody yeah. getting whacked in the head with a golf club, I mean, you're out. And so I'm like, okay, fine. And so at the same time, that's when Julianne Moore is investigating the house. We do the whole, she goes into the mother's room, sees the imprint of the body in the bed where it's always been, the uh, the weird chest that has the two hands. I always I forget the name of the chest. So it's like the jewelry box on the the uh, on the uh, the hope chest. The hope chest. Yes, thank you. And then she has the she sees herself in the two mirror. Okay, I legit jumped at Julianne Moore's scream there. Like it, I knew it was coming for some reason. Just like her reaction, like made me jump. So I was like, ah, oh, okay. I can't be mad at that because that actually instigated a reaction in me. It was a moment. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember if I jumped or not. But then it goes. I don't to, remember. And then, then she goes to Norman's room, and I'm like, okay, this is a little interesting, like how they updated things and everything. And we have like the yeah. This I thought was interesting. And he could have gone further with I don't know, having with his toy cars and his everything. And I think I don't know. I I didn't jot down what the hell the record he was listening to, but it was update from. The, uh, the 60s version. But anyway, Norman's approaching the house. She uh, Lila hides in the basement, discovers uh, Mrs. Bates. And of course, I do, li- I do like the setting of this scene of like all like the birds and everything down there. Right, right, right. And Gus Van Sant does something unique that he curbs something from another Hitchcock movie. He does a vertigo shot in the reveal of Norman's mother. Right, and I'm like, okay, that's really cool. You know what? That was a, that was an interesting take on. I'll, I'll do it. I'll I'm okay with that. And so then, Sam would have worked better in black and white. <laughs> it totally would have. That's for sure. I mean, like vertigo shots weren't played out at this point yet. Sure, a lot of people have used them since, whether it be Jaws, whether it be this or right, or the Rings right. or whatever. Um, and so Sam tries to incapacitate. Um, Vince Vaughn dressed up as a woman and there's unintentional <laughs> comedy there with a the blonde wig that was just so bad I mean he's got like he's got like nature boy Ric Flair white hair like, that's the kind of wig he's got on and then I'm like eh, that's just really funny I don't know if I should be laughing or not but I do like the fact that Lila knocks him out with a kick to the face and then we go to the like the second to last scene where Robin Forrester coming off uh Jackie Brown at this point to deliver oh, the, yes, psych- yes. <clears throat> the psychiatrist. The great scene. Robert Forrester. I was I was so glad to see him. I'm not gonna lie, seeing him in this movie did my heart good because I I so like Robert Forrester. I really do. Um, um it I was great I was very happy that Tarantino gave his career the boost that it deserved because it, the guy deserves it. Yeah. Um and and he actually does a a fairly decent job of, of delivering what really should have been cut from the updated version because audiences aren't that stupid anymore they understand you know the whole psychosis of it and all so but it, it you know i mean i can't fault i can't i can't fault Forrester for being in it, because like I said, I love the guy, so. Yeah, I mean, whether it be this, Jackie Brown, or Vigilante with Bill Lustig in the 80s, which, 
I think is actually really right. underrated. I mean, Robert Forster, he can't help but give a good performance, but this scene is null and void because go back to, obviously, Dress to Kill did the very similar thing at the end of that movie, and that was more appropriate for... And, and like, But like you said, at this point, it's null and void. Yeah, The audiences were smarter at this point, and yeah. one good thing about the original is that there was interesting blocking of the psychiatrist um, pacing the room as he explained it, at least made it a little more dynamic. Here, Robert Forster just kind of stands there and just addresses the camera, and I'm like, this is going to go on for about five yeah. minutes. And then we go yeah. to the very final scene, and it's your favorite scene. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's, it, it's, it's just so bad. It, it's, it's because this... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't I don't I'm very rarely at a loss for words, as you well know. <laughs> yes, you're very articulate and, in being able to explain yourself, but here you're just like uh, I, it's like almost I, indefensible. I, I just can't the and I like Vince Vaughn. Don't get me wrong, I like Vince Vaughn. I will watch Vince Vaughn movies. He's fine in a particular role, or when he's actually given good direction. Yes. <laughs> And, and and I honestly, I keep falling back. I think that everybody, and I still don't think Vince Vaughn was the right person for this role. No. But had he got better direction, I think that he could have gave a better performance. Okay. And and this shot at the end, you know, the, the famous superimposed of the mother's, uh, the mother's skull over his face just doesn't work on Vince. Partly because he's a bigger guy, and partly because that expression on his face is, I'm masturbating again. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, do I think I asked for this blanket? I don't want anybody watching what I'm doing. <laughs> right? Right. I wasn't cold. I just needed, I just needed, a, uh, I just needed a spooge rag. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he's going to get his ass beat on the way to county if he does that. You know that's going to happen. <laughs> right. I'm just like, ah. Uh. I mean, like, they'll put him in solitary confinement because, like, nobody wants to deal with this nut bar. Um, but, yeah, that <laughs> smile, I'm just like, I look at it, I'm like, oh, that is just so goofy. And, like, how he's, with the Norman Bates, it's like, his head's kind of tilted, so his eyes look at the top of his lids, and he's smiling. And I'm like, I'm like you're trying to do, like, uh, it's almost like a Joker smile, and it's not working here. And it's just, it's just so inappropriate, and, like, I'm like I'm just like thank God it's over. Last like cool thing I guess at the end where it's the final shot of the Marion's new car being pulled out of the the swamp. Oh, the swamp. Which, yeah, it's all one long take as the credits roll. I'm like okay that's interesting. Yeah, the minutiae yeah. of how that would work. But yes, we've reached the end of Psycho 1998. Okay, we we've, we've made our points rather clear what the things we did not like about it. Are there things in this movie you do like? Well. Let's let's start out with the obvious. Um, Danny Elfman channeling Bernard Herrmann. I mean, really. I mean, really. That was spot on. Yes. Um, with the score, I, you, there's just no way to deny <laughs> that score was spot on. Great. Um, I I I loved I loved that they were able to do the shot that Hitch always wanted to do at the beginning. That 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 did my heart good. Um, Robert Forrester, even though he's given a thankless role, 
you know, I, I, I always like seeing Robert Forrester pop up. I, I, I love the guy, and he's and it's good to see him when he gets work. Um, and the the choices that Julianne Moore made um, were better than the direction that everybody else was getting. <laughs> yeah. And, and what about you? What are the things you liked? Precisely what you've highlighted. Pretty much the exact okay. ones. I'm like, like Danny Elfman's doing, like, Bernard Herrmann's always been like kind of a part of his DNA as a composer. I will, I will agree with that. There, you can, you can definitely see the, the, um, the influence. Oh yeah, like whether it be Batman, whether it be yeah. Edward Scissorhands, or Ed. Well, no, Ed, he didn't do Edward. Howard Shaw did Edward. Um, Bernard Herrmann's is part, like, like one of those kind of composers. Like his DNA is a part of it, much like. John Williams has moments of Bernard Herrmann and etc. Uh, uh, yes, yes, uh, yeah. His uh, "Catch Me If You Can." <laughs> oh yeah, I mean <laughs> that's almost as if Bernard Herrmann rose from the grade and wrote that himself. Yes, totally. And then Julianne Moore, she's made she made interesting choice where she realizes what she's in, yes. and she gives it her best. And I, I, I look at her eyes; she's like. I'm counting down the seconds until I'm back to doing another PC Anderson. I'm, I'm counting down the moment so I can go back and I can go make Magnolia at this point. Go be right. a better movie with some of these actors. So you know what? Like I was like, okay. Um, Viggo Mortensen, like he's just really wooden, and it's kind of early in his career. And he, he, the man is charismatic. Like you look at the Lord of the Rings movies, he's charismatic. Eastern promises. Even though he speaks very little in that, but he's magnetic in that movie. The Road. Oh! That that man carries that movie on his shoulder. He puts everybody else on his shoulders and carries it. I mean, I love that movie. That's one of my favorite movies ever. And it, the, man is, the man is talented, but he is given so... And again, I'm, I'm boiling down to direction because there's no way that I feel that People like William H Macy and and Vigo would make them choices. Don't know they, 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 it just doesn't seem like choices they would make. No, it's totally down to Gus Van Sant's direction. I agree. And have you read *The Road*, the Cormac McCarthy novel? Oh yes, yes, I have. It's funny that we. Um, I, I took a summer class when I was in college, and it was a English literature class, and so I had to read that novel over the course of a weekend. And so, like, I would get It's up. a quick read. It is you quick can do read. it. Yeah, and it's like, but it was like, I worked both a Saturday and a Sunday shift, so I, I woke up, I read, I went to work, came home, read, went to bed, and so I, and I was working at Walmart at the time, so, the most cheery place in the world, so, that book mixing with working at Walmart for, like, a few, two long shifts, like, by the end of Sunday <laughs> night, I was like, like... Can I, can I have it in? Can I just have my kid go off into the beach and everything and find a happy family? Because I'm kind of spent at this point. Oh, oh, oh. And, and, and the thing in this, I know we're on another tangent, but anyways, the movie is more brutal than the book. Yes. That's for sure. Uh, which, because, because they up the, the mother character so much. Yeah. Uh -huh. Which makes it a little more brutal. And, you know. But, and again, and I keep telling everybody, that movie and the book both end on hope. Both of them. Yes. It, like, so no it, matter how bleak the rest of the movie is, they end on hope. Yes. Because you, it, you, it's earned with that, that story. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, it's definitely, it's, yes. 
Um, there was no cheat. There was no. It would get burned. Definitely. And anyway, back to Psycho. I mean, yeah, like the, the crane shot, the score, and everything. And it's funny that we did this because one of the other movies I was considering on reviewing for this month was Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear. Now, oh, that's a good remake. That's yeah. a good remake. And that's a 90s remake of a 60s thriller done right. Oh, it's, it's so good. Man, when when um, De Niro makes is it Mitchum's character? Yeah, Mitchum, Mitchum plays Katie in, in the original, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And De Niro makes him so much more threatening and so much more scarier. And that's a feat because Mitchum's character in the original was pretty scary and intense. I mean, like, so. Mitchum was a brute in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you look at Katie in the remake, that is a predator. Yes. In many yes. In more ways than one. Um, but, like, and the one that, like, and you update the score in a very similar way. And the, like, the Elmar Bernstein, like, score of it, and it's just the Saul Bass uh, titles for it. It's, it is a wonderful remake that was updated and it was done right. And it was casted. It was casted right. It was directed right. It was remade in right the right places. Um, I mean, it was casted spot on. Um, Juliet Lewis is perfect. I mean, I, I've always liked Juliet Lewis. I know she's hit and miss for a lot of people. I like her. Um, yeah. She was great as the daughter. And you think of like this is like a few years away from Natural Born Killers, and that's world. Which apart. I hate that. I hate that movie. I hate that movie, but she 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 does give a a good performance in that movie. She is so good, yeah. Um, particularly the scenes between her and Rodney Dangerfield, which was those are amazing scenes. Those are the only reasons that I ever watched that movie more than once is because of the the Rodney Dangerfield and Juliette Lewis scenes. Because I I really dislike that movie. It's it's something I, I I'm not I'm not going to be like it's a good movie. Like it, that is totally a personal taste movie. So like there. Are, parts of it even I find objectionable so I'm not that's not a hill I'm willing to die on there but yeah so right like, so I'm like yeah I can't really like that's also why like, I know one of our listeners Justin and Justin Lee like hi Justin I know you're listening um he works in the correctional facility uh um uh profession and so I'm like this is like that's where it kills it's like well like I would never want to do that because I'd be terrified of a prison riot and everything so like and imagining like what would happen Anyway, back to Cape Fear. We'll get back to Psycho. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. I'm, I'm daisy chaining these tangents. Don't worry, people. And so, <laughs> it, 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 it may not make sense to you, but it's making sense to us. <laughs> um, and so, like, and then you have like one of the things about like I love about Cape Fear. One of the moments is like De Niro's laugh in the theater, which I I'll always use if I want to show like how how much I'm laughing at something, just that obnoxious laughter, like, ah, like I, I'm projecting as loud as I can to be as, la- as well, laughing. Right. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, like for like going back to psycho, would you recommend this to people to see? <laughs> recommend may be a strong word. <laughs> I, I, I encourage people to see it. I think it needs to be seen simply for the fact of I don't want to share my pain. No. <laughs> <laughs> um I 
I, I champion people see it because I really think it's a good learning experience. I really do for, for film fans. If you're not a film fan, for God's sake, skip this fucking movie. It is not good. Um, but if you're a film head, I think it's, I think you should because it's a good education. It's a good way for you to start learning, um, learning the way to like, like you were commenting on the way things were blocked and the way, you know, and framed and you see the way it's done right with with hitch and then you see it this way and it and and it and it's it's a learning thing it's a learning experience you see the difference between the two roles it's a learning you start to learn nuances of of the you start to i i feel narrow down your your love of film it it narrows your 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 focus yes and um so I mean, I've shit on the Rob Zombie remakes of Halloween for being too different from the original. Now we have something that's putting tracing paper up to it. Now, I understand, like, if you want to emulate and you want to learn from the best, I understand that. And, like, one of the core ideas that Neil Adams, the artist, there was formed, like, famous for Batman in the 1970s, along with Dead Man. Right. He said one of the best ways to learn is to trace. I get that. And Hitchcock is one of the best people to learn from, if not the best filmmaker to learn from. However, I wouldn't give it $30 million to release it theatrically um, to a yeah. mainstream audience. Like, Do that in your own way. Do it and so you can have a learning experience. But Gus Van Sant's own filmmaker at this point, he has his own voice. I, I understand, like... Unless you want, if you're a, if you're morbidly curious, I'd say yes. If you're just a casual fan, like you mentioned, skip it. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> Unless you, you and your friends like like doing your own version of like riff tracks and like Mystery Science Theater, then I say then definitely go 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 nuts with this movie because you'll have a lot of fun. If if. If you need background noise while you got a case of beer and playing some euchre with your friends, I'm going to show my Midwest, Midwest roots here. Mm-hmm. Um, then put it on in the background as noise. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's perfect for that. Then you can say, oh, I've seen it, even though you really haven't. <laughs> exactly. Um, but like I said, if you are a film head, I think you should see it. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it really is a learning experience. Definitely. All right, then, so we'll start wrapping this up. Now, Guy, if you want people to follow you on social media, where can they find you? You will find me on Twitter at Galactic Scumbag, and then I'm also on Instagram with a really random Instagram at Galactic under slash Scumbag, and I'm on any you anytime you, I, I'm on the Facebook pages of The Real Fans. All right, and if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2 Instagram at tbrewery1012. Um, my YouTube and Facebook pages on the same ad- banner of Through the Lens Productions. As you view through, as you went through something, not like you throw your copy of Psycho 1998 out the window. Um, <laughs> um, follow, like as you on my filmmaking, and of course, uh, we got a new short film coming out for Halloween. They call it DD, which is I'm actually by the time I'm recording this, we're starting to get all the pre-production rolling on that. Hopefully that will be done for Halloween. Um, if you like the show, um, subscribe on iTunes. Give us a five-star and a written review. It will take a minute of your time. to get the word out there if you enjoyed the show. Guy, 
I don't want to say, I'll, I'll thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> I don't think I can it's thank a, you for making me do this, though. It's the last time you'll ever hear a guy on this show because Tim's going to be pissed for the rest of his life for me making him watch this movie. <laughs> no, I, 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 no I, 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 I'll just find something that you really dis- dislike and we'll just come on the show and we'll debate about it for two hours. I mean... Oh, you want to re- you want you want to debate Return of the Jedi? Because I'll come on and do that. <laughs> uh, I, I, still, I, I know you disliked through, but I've never actually read your threads of your reasons why. Because I'm like, oh. no, because I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna because I'll speak up and it'll be like 45 minutes and several comments <laughs> later of us just being very agitated with each other. I'm like, I'm at work right now. I'm stressed as it is. I don't need as added stresses to begin with. So I was like, I'll I'll leave it. I never get agitated with people who disagree with me on Return of Jedi because I get why it's love. I just can't. <laughs> that's, that's totally fair. I, I will say it is definitely the weakest the original trilogy. I'll, I'll concede you with that. It, it sits even with Phantom Menace for me as the worst of the series. <sighs> I think Attack of Clones is worse, but even but even I I enjoy the prequels for some parts. I know I know somebody's going to shank me one day for that because of that opinion. Like my geek card should be. Disagar- disavowed as like a geek at that point because I enjoy the prequels, I know. But before people sign off and, and really hate the show, um, thank you for listening to this review of Psycho 1998. Stay tuned. We have a few more movies, that uh, remakes of horror movies that are coming in October. We have John Carpenter's The Thing and Stephen King's, I mean, It, the 2017 version coming up. So, Guy, thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's always fun. All right. And everybody who's listened to it, we'll talk to you soon. Let's all go inside.